Summer is ended, and there's a few signs about that. Uh, our vacations are over. Our kids are back in school. And I get my regular fall allergies. And, uh, and also with, with, with fall, what happens is that uh, we look back at our vacation. We look back at those moments, and uh, all we have left is, is pictures of the places we've been, of the, of the, of the things we've seen, of the, of the people we've met. And uh, uh, I'd like to show you some of your pictures. Um, now you're worried what pictures you can show. Uh, don't worry. Every single one of these pictures, I've asked, I asked permission before. Uh, some didn't give it to me, but still, it's going to be up here. Um, so this is a, a beautiful couple, but in the background, there is some place in Asia. And, and if you have more questions, you can ask them more details. But see, look at this picture. It's just the, the background. Uh, uh, we might not be able to see it perfectly, but it's just amazing. Some other pictures that, that I found are way up in the mountains. Way up in the mountains, people celebrating that they reached a summit, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful country in the back with the mountains as the background. Uh, this other one, uh, more serious gentleman, uh, is standing there. Uh, it's funny because when I asked Maricela about showing one of her pictures on her Facebook feed, uh, she was worried first, and then when I showed her the picture, she says, Oh, it's Alex. Yeah, sure, show it. Um, uh, so, so this is back in the south in Tennessee. Uh, um, uh, I don't know the name of the river. I don't know the name of the bridge. But it's, there you go. If you know, you probably recognize it. But uh, some of us who haven't been there, we don't know. We don't know the place. But we just see that it's a beautiful place worthy of a picture. And, and this other one uh, 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 with families from our church uh, in the forest in the country. Now, all these pictures and some other of your pictures are just beautiful, beautiful places. But all these pictures have one thing in common. For, actually, two things. The first thing is that when we take pictures like this, because we want to show, we want to share where we've been, the things that we've seen. We always, when we see the picture after we take it, we always have this comment. It does not make justice of how beautiful this place is. The pictures never compare to the reality of the places that we are. And the other, other thing that happens with these pictures is that those of us who haven't been there, who, who were not there, we don't see the whole thing. We only see whatever is limiting, limited by the frame of the picture. We miss the rest. But those who have been there have seen the whole panorama, the whole landscape. Unfortunately, those of us who didn't get the chance to be there, we can only see whatever is shown in those pictures. The prophet Joel tells us something about that. And if you get your notes out, you open your notes, you have in the bulletin or follow in the Bible, let's go to the scripture in the Old Testament at the book of the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. And this verse is, is very well known. I mean, uh, it's one of those uh, that the people like us who like prophecy and who like the stuff that God is prepared for us for the future, we love to read. Uh, and it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall see dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Let's pause for a second about the meaning of the word visions. You see, in, in the Hebrew, in the original language of this, of this text, the word vision is the word shisayon. Can you say shisayon? 
Sounds like in Mexican in Mexico the chicharrón, but I don't know, it's chisayon, right? Chisayon. And uh and chisayon is a perspective of presenti- presenting something before it becomes a reality. And see, the best description of this term is the experience of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken in chapter 20, uh, 37 of the book of Ezekiel. He's taken to a mount, to a high place. And as he is on the high place, God shows him a valley. And of this valley, God asks him a question, what do you see? And what Ezekiel sees is that on this valley, there's no people alive. All there is, is bones. And not just bones, but dry bones. They've been dried for a while. They're just there on the valley, on the ground. So God asks him, what do you see? And he says, well, all I see is dry bones. And then what God does is that he begins to, to form life back into these bones. And, and, and they begin to, begin to grow sinews and, and ligaments and tendons and the muscles come around until these bones became bodies and they became alive again. So what God is showing Ezekiel is that something that he can do but is not yet a reality. Are you with me? So what, what, what vision is, is the experience that God wants us to, to have of seeing something even though it has not become a reality yet. Now let me tell you, family, that God, God has a vision for all of us. God has a vision for you and your family. God has a vision for you as a professional in your job. God has a a vision for you as a student. God has a vision for you as an individual, as a Christian, as one of his children. And God has a vision for us as his church. However, that vision, that image, that picture that God is showing us might not yet be a reality. But we need to learn to under- and to understand that oftentimes we need to see things in the way that God sees them. And even, even though things might not be here yet, in the mind of God and the desires of God, He gives us this vision to understand what He wants for us in the future. So family, I want to share a principle with you today. And this is a truth uh, 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 in life and in our Christian experience that um, if today you don't see what you want to be, it will never happen. If today you don't see what you want to be, say it with me, it will never happen. If you today you don't see what you want to be, it will never happen. Now, family, this is what happens. Uh, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, there's a story of a man. His name is Javis. Can you see Javis? Okay, you can't say Javis. Okay, let's try it again. Can you say Javis? Uh, we're used to writing and you can speak and write at the same time, two different things. Come on. Anybody can do that. Now, now what happens, what happens in, with Javis is that his name, his name means the one in pain. Now, I don't know how that happened, but see, in the Old Testament, names were given to people according to their character traits. So, so like uh, Jacob, he was called a liar. That was the meaning of his name. And we know through the scripture, through his story, that he was a, a compulsive liar, right? But so, so Javis, the one in pain, we, we don't know. Well, there's no details in the Bible about what this pain was about. But let's, th- let's 
think about it for a second, about the, the, the situation in his family. Perhaps his family was a poor family and they didn't have cable. They didn't have internet in the house. So he had to go with his iPad and go in the middle of the street to catch a signal from one of the neighbors because he was poor. Maybe that was his pain. Maybe his pain was that every time he wanted to play sports at school, everybody was picked except him. Or maybe his pain was that, that, that every time he asked a girl to go out with him, they always told him yes or no. But when they told him yes, when he went to pick him up, they said, well, I changed my mind. We don't know what his pain was, but what we know is that he had some kind of situation in his life that cost him a lot of pain for him and his family. That's what his name was the one with pain. However, the Bible tells us there in the first book of Chronicles that Javis called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that you, your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked now, this is quite interesting, family, because when we talk about vision, Javis, the one that was with pain, born in pain, suffering all the time, he could have just said, okay, that's the lot in life that I got, and I'm going to live like this the rest of my life. And he, he could have become a regular Eeyore. You know, that's the funny thing about, about, about uh, Winnie the Pooh. You, you know what I'm talking about? Winnie the Pooh, we all grew up kind of with Winnie the Pooh, because Winnie the Pooh, is, is, it's quite an interesting a set of characters. See, uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh, the, the bear that, that likes honey, see, he's a compulsive eater. He has a disorder. And then his friend is, is, is Tigger. And Tigger has attentional deficit disorder. He's always bouncing from one place to another. He can't stay put, right? Now, now uh, there's Piglet, the little pig. He's always depressed and has issues of self-esteem. And, and then we have, we, we have uh, Eeyore, Eeyore, he's the donkey that's always blue and there's always a cloud on top of him. So he's, he's depressive. And now the, 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 the two that we think they're normal is the rabbit family. Kanga and Roo. But the question is, where's the father? So it's a broken home. Now, this is how we grow up. This is, this is how we learn. That, that that's how you are and that's how you're going to stay. And in the case of Javis, he could have said, well, you know what? I'm going to stay like this. This is how I am. This is the way I'm going to stay. But see, he said, no. God has a vision for me. God wants me to, to, to be different, to not be in pain my whole life. In fact, I'm going to ask God to show me the vision. And I'm going to tell him, God, please take me away from the limits that were set by my name and Take me beyond that. Expand my territory. Take me out farther away from my limits, my borders. And it says that God, what? Granted his prayer. See, a lot of times, family, our prayers are so weak because we only see what we can see with our sight. But we miss what God is preparing for us in the future. See, when the people of Israel exited Egypt in the book of Numbers... They're just at the door. They're right there in front of the promised land. And what God says, he tells Moses to send one spy for every tribe. So he sends 12 spies into the land. And they go and observe and analyze and bring a report back. What they do when they come back. Verse uh, 27, Numbers 13 is there in your notes. It says that they told him. 
We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Now, when they say this is its fruit, the Bible tells us in chapter 13, in, in verse 23, it's not in your notes, but, but just listen to the description. It says that they brought a, 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 a bunch of grapes, and when they brought the grapes, it was so big that it, between two people were carrying it. Can you imagine the size of that, those grapes? Now, you know why they didn't bring watermelon? <laughs> now, what happens is, what happens is that, that when they come, they see the fruit and they, they come and, and the people are looking at them, you know, between two, probably they run a stick through the, through the grapes like we've seen in the movies and, and they carry the, the grapes uh, and they leave it right there in front of Moses and this, they say, this is the fruit. This is the fruit of the lamb. It's a, it's a land that, that, that produces milk and honey. It's awesome there. But then, verse 28 says, however. You know, it, it's always amazing to hear a contrast when the word however is used. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Every time, there's going to be two kinds of reports. They brought the grapes, they brought the pomegranates, they, they saw the fruit, they saw the reality of the land, there was a bountiful uh, uh, land, and, and it was just like God promised. However, they saw the walls, they saw the, they saw the, the cities, they saw the people who were giants, according to the report. You see, one group reported what they saw with their eyes. Are you with me? They saw the giants, they saw the cities, they saw the walls. They saw the fortifications. They reported according to what they saw with their eyes. By the way, how many, how many spies were there? Twelve. So twelve spies. Ten reported with what they saw with their eyes. But two, Joshua and Caleb, they reported according to what they saw with their vision. And they said, the land is ours. God already has given it to us. Now, this is the question. This is the drum roll right here. Which report did the people of Israel choose to follow? The one that was given by sight or the one that was given by vision? Unfortunately, they decided on the one that was given by sight. And that cost them 40 years in the desert. Now, family, I want to see you now the importance of having vision according to God's will. That when we choose to limit ourselves and stay on what we can see, we miss the blessings of becoming what God wants us to be. Now, how can we begin to live according to God's vision? The first idea that I'd like to suggest to you is that we need to learn to get rid of our old skins. Now, don't elbow your neighbors. Don't look at your spouse. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus is speaking here about traditions. He's speaking about the practices of the people. When Jesus uses this reference, he is being asked a question about fasting. About fasting. You know what fasting is, right? 
That's why we have potluck today after worship. Now, Matthew 9.16, Matthew 9.16, Jesus is teaching the people. He's explaining to them their questions. And, and when the question about fasting comes up, it was related. They were people were related, relating, I'm sorry, the fasting to their practice. They believed that if they fasted in public and their faces looked bad and, and, and down, that they were doing it right. That God would accept their pain. That would accept their suffering. So what Jesus is saying, Matthew 9, 16, he says, no one puts a piece of unstrung cloth of an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Now let's stop there for a second. He's talking about clothing now. And what he's saying is that, is that if you have your clothes, your old clothes that you wash several times and, and for some reason you have a hole in it, you don't cut a piece of new clothing, of new fabric and put it on it. You see, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, 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 I grew up with jeans. You know, that was, those, those were the pants that I, that I had all the time. In my family, we, we used a lot of Levi's. And, and, and Levi's were, were the pants that we used. I don't know if you remember back in the day, uh, the, 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 the 501s, the Levi's, you have to put them in water before you use them. You have to shrink them. Right? You have to shrink them. And what would happen is that those pants would come to the size that you would wear. And they would lose all this, all this extra dye that they would put on, uh, on the jeans. And they would be dark, very dark blue, but with time they would start losing the dye. And, and the pants would be a lot more fitted. And after a few washes, then the pants would actually reach the size that they were going to be. Now, what happened was that a few times I playing sports, I happened to tear my, my, my jeans right at the knees. So we had a problem because oftentimes they hadn't shrunk completely. So what my, my, my dad did is that he put patches uh, of pieces of leather. That was very protective of my knees, except when the jeans hadn't really completely shrunk. I would have a patch that was kind of like this. So what Jesus is saying, that the reality of the situation is that you cannot use old stuff with new stuff uh, on the clothing because it would not go well. Now he adds another example in verse 17. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins if it is the skins burst and the wines is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. You see, the reality of those days was very different than the reality that we experience today. Today we come to our church and some of you have your own water bottle, maybe one of those metal new modern water bottles. Some others have the plastic ones. Some others just have a little water bottle that we got from the store. But today we bring a water bottles, you know, to whatever place we go, different styles, and we leave the house and we don't leave it without a water bottle because we got accustomed to that. In those days, water was not in the same abundance and the same way that, that we have it today. In fact, in the, that area of Palestine, water was a really, really difficult commodity to have. But what they had, what they had was grapes. And grapes were in abundance. In fact, they had so much grapes that that's, that's what they drank. They drank grape juice. Now, because they didn't have the technological advancements that we have today to preserve uh, uh, juices or, or refrigeration or, 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 or anything like that, that they would seal out the, the, the contaminants, what they did is that they actually 
the animals they ate, they used their skin. They would sew them up from the middle, and they would sew up their, 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 their legs, and they would leave a cavity in one of the legs to, to, to pour the, the liquid in. Now, this region of the, of the world is a very warm region. So what would happen to the Jews is that once it was in that skin for a while, the preparation of the skin allowed it to have some level of elasticity. But after, after the, the, the juice in there with the heat and time would begin to exude gases. These gases that in the process that we call fermentation. So when these gases would release from the juice inside the skin, the skin would begin to stretch to the maximum point. So they would use that Jews until it was over, and then when they had the next batch of Jews, they would not use that same old skin, because if they used the same old skin, what would happen was that the new gases from the new Jews would make it burst, and all the Jews would be spilled and wasted. So what they would do is that they would prepare another set of skins to put the new Jews. Now let me tell you something, family. When God shows us a vision for who we are to be, but we continue to practice the same things that we already practice, those character traits, those things that we need to, we have to get rid of, and we try to, 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 to be different, to become what God wants us to be, it just doesn't work. To become the people that he wants us to be, we need to get rid of those things that prevent us from being the people that God wants us to be. Are you with me? So the first suggestion that I have for you is that we start learning how to get rid of our old skins. The second suggestion that I have for you is that God meets us at a level of our expectations. God meets us at the level of our expectations. See, Jesus healed many people. He, how many people did Jesus heal? Just checking if you're breathing. Now, so, so Jesus healed many, many, many sick and physically afflicted. And, and, and a lot of these people were blind. They were blind. And, and blindness, like any other discapacity in those days, was a cause for somebody to be degraded to beg. They could not get jobs. There were, there, there were no uh, laws to protect people with disabilities. It was a very different culture. So somebody who was blind, they depended on, on, on begging and, and the and the, uh, the, the, the Money that people would give them on the street as they were begging. So, so there were a lot of blind people that, that came to Jesus to be healed. But in this particular case, in Matthew chapter 9, there were these two blind men. And these blind men, obviously they can't see, so they begin to, 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 to scream. They begin to call out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David. So, so finally, uh, they were guided. They, they, and they happened to be at the place where Jesus was teaching in the house. And Jesus allows him to come in. When they come in the house, Jesus, says verse 29, uh, uh, 28, it's not there, but in verse 28, Jesus asked him a question. Do you believe, do you believe that I can heal you? And the blind man said, yeah, we believe. We believe that you can heal us. So Jesus says in verse 29, then he touched their eyes saying, according to what? To your faith. According to your faith, it will be done. According to your faith, it will be done. So Jesus said, do you believe that I can heal you? They said, yes, we believe. We trust that you can heal us. And then Jesus healed them. Imagine if one of them would have said, well, you know, uh, I kind of believe. I, you know, you might be able to, you might not. Probably maybe they would 
have like one eye could see, the other couldn't. See, Jesus met them at the level of their expectations. When they came to Jesus, they expected to be, to be completely healed. See, the limits that we experience in our lives are set by us. The limits that we experience in our life are set by ourselves. Because oftentimes we don't expect that we can amount, that we can, that we, that we can surpass, that we can achieve. Because of what people have told us, because of, of circumstances around, because of different elements in our society. Oftentimes we said, well, I don't think I can. This is my situation and I have to learn to live with it. So we make those limits a reality in our lives. But God is saying that he does not want us to be tails. He wants us to be heads. He wants us to be more. In fact, uh, uh, a Christian writer says that the vision, the plans that God has for us goes beyond our loftiest ideals, our loftiest expectations. So you see what happens is that we experience limits in our lives because those are the kind of limits that we allow ourselves to become our own limitations. Um, one time I went to speak at a, at a church and, and, and at the end of the message, I was talking to this young man, very nice young man, very good Christian young man. And as we were talking, I asked him the question. So, so he, he was of, of, of college age. And I asked him, hey, uh, what, what uh, college do you go to? And he said, oh, pastor, I don't study. My family, we just don't study. I was like, What? You were born in this country. You, you went to, to high school in this country. You have benefits and you have options that a lot of people who, who have a dream don't have. Take advantage of it. He said, well, yeah, but you know, in my family, everybody, once we graduate from high school, we just start working and we don't, we don't go to school anymore. You see, I know of a person who came from, from Mexico to the United States, and uh, he came without a family. He, he was an orphan. And he came to the United States, and, and he graduated from USC as an engineer. So you see, when we set limits to ourselves, we're going to make those limits a reality. And regardless of what we do or what, 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 what people tell us, once those limits have been set in our minds, there's no way we can pass them. So God meets us at the level of our expectations. He is not going to do for us something that we don't expect to do in our lives. You know, when I came here uh, a year and a half ago, it felt like I just got here last week. But when I came a year and a half ago, I, I told you that, that, that we're going to have a thousand members. And you're probably thinking right now, well, uh, we're not a thousand members yet. But right now, the youth is having their, their program in the other side. That's why we're a little bit more, uh, we have more seats. But you realize, you've realized that lately, if you come a little bit late, 
it's a lot harder to find a seat. Because, see, some of us are still praying for a thousand members. So let me tell you, as God is going to meet us in the level of our expectations, just come a little bit earlier or you're not going to find a seat. Because God is going to do things that we don't expect will do. And if you're not part of this movement, you're going to be without a seat. So so, uh, when that moment comes, we're going to have to maybe think of a second service or something. But I do believe, I do believe sincerely that this church is going to be a beacon in this community. So the third, the, the third uh, um, suggestion that I have for you is that not only we get rid of our old skins, not only our expectations should be high because God meets us at the level of our expectation, but also the choices that I make today affect the next generation. The choices that I make today will affect tomorrow's generation. You see, Proverbs 22.6 is a text that we, that we, that we know, that, that we use in baby dedications, that, that, we, that, that we use a lot. But unfortunately, oftentimes, we only use half of the, of the meaning of it and we don't use the other part of it. You see, it says, train up a child in the way he or she should go and even when he's old, will never depart from it. Right? You've heard that text before. Right? And, and even if you had it, now you have, because I just read it to you. So what happens is that this text, this text is very interesting because, see, it says that if we train up, if we train, if we guide, if we instruct a, a, a child when he's old, he will not forget about the training. So we use this text with the, with the first meaning. And the first meaning is that when our children are growing in our homes and we believe in, in God, we, we teach them Bible, we teach them how to, how to, how to experience uh, Sabbath school and, and we bring them to church and we tell them about the doctrines. But there's another meaning about it. And that is embedded in the text in the original sense. And that is in the way he should go or she should go. In the way he should go or she should go. And that means that God already has a plan for that individual. That there's nothing that we can do to change that plan. God already has a plan. What is our responsibility is to train that kid, that child, to find his way as a children of God, as a child of God. Because God already has a plan for him or for her. What we fail to do is to show them that they could be different, that if our family had limitations, they don't have to have those limitations. That what we have to tell them is that if, if nobody in our household has gone to college, he could go to college. That, that, that what we, we can tell them is that if we, if we suffer from these social issues in our family, you don't have to abide in those issues. You can be better. You can reach higher. You can go longer. You can go deeper. And you can go wider because God has no limits in your life. The only limits that you have are the limits that you set for yourself. So oftentimes family, as adults, we fail because we give our limits to our children and we, the decisions that we make affect them because we don't tell them that our limits are our limits, but they only have the limits that God can give them. Elijah was a prophet of Israel. And, and he was given by God the task to pass, pass his message to the people, like any other prophet. 
And every prophet along the way would bring along a disciple. The Bible tells us in the second book of Kings that Elijah had chosen a younger man named Elisha. And Elisha was Elijah's disciple. But he wasn't the only disciple. There were others who would follow them. There were always who, who were learning from the prophet how to become a prophet. These were the students of the prophet. So one day as this prophet is walking, he is along with his disciples in front of a river. And what Elijah does is that he takes his cloak off and after being limited by the river, he takes the cloak and he hits the water with the cloak. And what happens is that the river is stopped right where he hit it with the cloak. So now he marches to the other side and he goes Elisha to go with him. The rest of the disciples stayed on the other side. Now Elisha and Elijah are walking on the other side of the river and they're going to a high place. Because Elijah is cleared, given command by God to go to that place because at that place he is going to end his ministry. And he gives instructions to Elisha. And he says, Elisha, I'm going to leave. What is? What is the thing that you want me to give you? In verse 9 of 2nd book of Kings, chapter 2 says, When they had crossed, Elijah and Elisha asked what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double, a what? Double portion of the spirit of me. Now, I don't know if you see this, but Elijah had performed many miracles. Elijah was an amazing prophet of God. He had authority over diseases and authority over many things because God had given him that power. Now, Elijah asked Elijah, not only give me your spirit, not give me a little bit of your spirit that, that I would be today very happy with just with a little bit. But Elijah says, give me double your spirit. So now the situation goes like this. Elijah is walking with Elijah, waiting for the moment, because Elijah tells him, the moment that I leave, when you see me depart, you will be the prophet of God. The, the, the history in the Bible, the story tells us that as Elijah is going up the mountain, a chariot of fire came and took Elijah. Now Elijah is going in this chariot of fire and he releases his cloak. The same cloak that he used to open the waters. Now Elijah is underneath trying to catch this cloak like an outfielder trying to catch a ball in the sun. When he receives the cloak, now he has to go back. He has to go back to the place where the other disciples are. And guess where the other disciples are? On the other side of the river. He has the cloak in his hand and now the river is running as it was before. So when he comes to the river, he has one thing to do, one task to perform. And that is to stop the water just like Elijah did. This is the moment that baptized Elijah into becoming the prophet, the new prophet of God. So he takes the cloak, something that he's never done, but he saw Elijah doing. And now Elisha takes the cloak, swings it around, and hits the water. And guess what happened? The water stopped. 
When the water is stopped, now the other disciples don't know what happened to Elijah, but they know that Elijah has his spirit. When he goes to the other side and meets with them, Elijah becomes known as the prophet of the miracles. Elisha performed many, many, many miracles. He, in fact, resurrected people. In fact, Elisha was so powerful by the Spirit of God that even after he died, two men were fighting and one of them fell dead in, on top of his tomb. And when he landed on his tomb, he lived again. Because that was Elijah and that's in the Bible. Check it out. It's a cool book. So see, what happens is that Elijah not only received the Spirit of God, the Spirit that was upon Elijah, but he received double because he was not limited. He was not just waiting to see what happened. And I get whatever you give me. Elijah received what he asked for because he set a limit way, way higher than what he should have respect if he didn't have the vision that God given him. So family, what I want to tell you today is that God has given us a vision. God has given us the ability to see what we don't see yet by ourselves. And He wants us to get beyond, beyond what we are today. So it is a prayer as we listen to the song that Bless is going to sing for us this morning. That we learn to look at God the way He looks at us. Let us listen to the song.
God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns forever, all my days. Hallelujah. God, I look to you. You where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. That was his message right there. Thank you. Um, we, we understand that vision requires introspection, requires understanding who we are. And for some time, for some time, the, 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 the leadership of the church has been thinking about this. And uh, we got together uh, to, to figure out who we are and to figure out what our vision is as a church. And a part of the reason why we are in this series is because we want that to be part of our experience as a church. So I want to share with you this morning something that, that we've never shared before, and that is what we believe. Uh, after observing and talking and praying and, 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 and conversing, uh, our identity as a church and, and the vision that God has for us in this community. So who we are, uh, West Covina Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church is a diverse family, and you can look around and, and confirm that. It's a diverse family who believes that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Amen? It's our Lord and our strength. As we anticipate his soon return, it is our purpose to live, reflect, and share his character in our community. Is that who we are? Amen. So you agree. Now, as we, as we understand who we are, then we have to discover what moves us. What, what are the values that, that, that we have as a church? And we found that we have three values. The three things that we, that we hold high in, in our experience as a church. The first of these values is that salvation is, is the first one. We understand that as Christians, as a Christian church, we believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved to be saved from this world of sin and suffering. For that reason, we are committed to share the good news of eternal life to all whom Jesus died. Are you, are you, do you agree with that? Salvation is, is values. That's why we're here, because we were saved, and we want that salvation to be attainable for everyone else. The, the second value that, that, that we understand as very important for us as a church is service. Jesus came to love and serve, and his church, as his church, we are passionate to follow his example. For that reason, we are committed to serve the people in our community. That is one of our values, and, and, and we're 
striving and looking to do just that. To be a beacon in this community. And, and, and it's only by serving. So you'll see a lot more about this as, as we go on. And the third value that, that we, that we uh, discover as being, being very important for us as a church is strength. And let me explain this strength. We are, as, as a church, any, any organism is one generation away from extinction. Any organism that does not have a generation behind them dies. So our strength, our strength is that Jesus loves all ages. And for that reason, we are committed to providing the next generation of believers with Christian education. Christian education is top priority in in our church, we have a school and we support Christian education at all levels, in all places. Mentorship and encouragement to use their talents and leadership abilities for Jesus. And perhaps you have noticed that we have a lot more involvement of young people in our church. And that is our goal, that they become the leaders of our church at some point without having a gap. That the mentorship of the adults to the young people, to the next generation goes seamlessly, seamlessly uh, so that we, we uh, become a church that never lacks on that generation of leadership because we are mentoring as adults the young ones and the young ones become the leaders that we need for this time. Now, what I'd like to share with you now is our statement of vision. Putting all this thing together, we discover that the way God sees us is like this. Our vision is to worship Jesus. And by worship Jesus means that our life it's committed to Him. It's not just the moment that we come up here and we sing and we pray. It's the moment that we live. And we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, to build relationships, the most important thing for God is people. So people is very important for us. For us. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, to grow spiritually. To grow spiritually. We've been talking about developing into the people that God made us to be. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks too. To serve others and to guide people to Him. These five things is the vision that we have as our church. So that means that in everything that we do, in everything that we do, these five elements need to be present, at least one of them. Otherwise, we'll be doing things with that reason, with that purpose. Because if we want to be the people that God made us to be, these elements need to be present and practiced with our values. Because that is who we are. Did you agree with that? Amen. So during this series, family, we'll discover what each, each, things, each one of these elements means to us as a church and how to put it into practice. Let us, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful because we haven't been left alone. We are so thankful because even though we might not see it yet, you already do. And we are thankful because we are not left like a people who does not have a vision. The prophet Hosea said that it is because of lack of vision that the people perish. And Father, we pray in gratitude because you're given the leadership wisdom to see that there's something more than just coming Sabbath morning. That there's something more than just 
fulfilling a set of requirements, that there's something more than just being part of a tradition, that is something more than just living life with a, with a label, but it's living for you with a purpose. And Father, as we grow together as a church, as we grow together in this community, as we learn to minister those who are different from us, that Jesus may be reflected and him glorified only. I pray for this church. I pray for West Covina, for each one of the members, for those who soon will become members, and for those who will hear the gospel of salvation because of us. That in this community, we preach and we serve with such a passion that the only thing that people see is Jesus reflected through us. And we pray also, Lord, with equal passion for the next generation. That we become adults that are warm and guiding, mentors and examples. So that they can see that they are a very important part of our church. And without them, our church is incomplete. That they see that they're just as important in decision-making as it is on the practice. And that together we can build a community that is unified to give Jesus Christ the praise. In his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.